Um, we're going to jump right into our message today. We've been in this series called The Good News of the Kingdom, and we're talking about how uh, we have two realities available to us. We have the reality of the physical world that we can see and taste and touch, and that's kind of where we have to function. You know, we have to get up and go to work, and we have to make dinner, and we have to do these things. But there's another reality. There's the reality of the kingdom of God. And, and in the reality of the kingdom of God, we, we get to experience and participate in uh, things that are eternal, uh, that, that last forever, peace and joy and purpose, love and grace and mercy. And we as followers of Jesus get to live with the kingdom of God as our defining reality for everything else that we do. So yes, we are still in this physical world and uh, we are also in the kingdom of God. And so when we ask these questions about like, what, what kind of things matter to Christians? The answer is everything. Everything matters because we are not just spiritual beings. We're not just, we're not just marking time until we die and get to go to heaven. We, we are bringing the kingdom of God to earth as we live out the way of Jesus. And so everything we do matters. And so there's good news about pretty much everything we do. So today we're gonna to talk about the good news about food. Right? Uh, I uh, put this on the sign earlier this week and Kathy came in and she said, you don't have to tell me the good news about food. I think I got that figured out. Uh, we, don't, we don't really need, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Why would, why would we have a sermon on food? Uh, well, I think food is a, is a big part of um, what God has to say to us in scripture because we are um, spiritual beings living in a physical world that, that how we think about food matters. But it's also important in our culture. And it's important when we think about Mother's Day, a lot of our memories, a lot of our connections with mom had, came at a, at a dinner table. And I remember um, my mom had these kind of dinner table rules, kind of protocols, etiquette, maybe you would say, that were passed down from her grandparents who were English and uh, they, they carried these, these kind of really formal dinner table protocols down. And my mom taught me these things. And at the time I thought, this is crazy. This is why, why, who cares if I, you know, put my elbows up here? Like, what does this matter? But I am so grateful that my mom took the time and had the patience to teach me how to eat, not like a barbarian, so that I could go out in public and be, you know, be with other human beings and, and not be gross, you know? So I, I'm grateful to the way my mom engaged with me at uh, the dinner table and pass those uh, rules down to me. So thank you, mom. Um, mom usually watches. That's why I'm wearing a tie today. Some of you are like, where did he get a tie? Um, I break it out once a year uh, because uh, my mom likes it when I wear a tie. She do actually, she doesn't care what I wear, but it's just a, a way to say I love you and, um, when she's watching. So, uh, so I appreciate my mom's uh, dinner table rules and uh, the way that she kind of taught me uh, to do that. And uh, I acknowledge that food is a big part of our culture, right? Um, it, it's an important part of my life. And in fact, if you've been around a while, you could probably, let's do a pop quiz. You could probably answer some of these questions if you've been a part of the church family for a while. Um, what is my favorite fast food? Chick-fil-A. There we go. Okay, so you guys uh, have been paying attention. What's my favorite cookie? What's my favorite candy? Ooh, ooh. M&M's, caramel M&M's. You guys are good. This is weird, by the way. The fact that you know this stuff about me is weird, isn't it? Like you probably don't know where I was born. You don't know the things that keep me up at night. There's a lot about me you don't know, but you know what I like to eat. Isn't that weird? Like, let's just acknowledge that for a minute. That's strange because food's a big part of our lives. 
And it's, I'm not alone in that. Food's a big part of our culture. The restaurant industry in the United States is an $800 billion industry. That's billion with a B. That's a lot of dollars going into the restaurant industry. It employs 14.5 million people work in the restaurant industry in the US. Uh, the Food Network, on the weekends, the Food Network is the number one rated cable network. Because on the weekends, we like to sit and watch other people cook and, and teach us how to make things and you know, salivate over these incredible dishes. Cookware, the cookware industry. So the pots and pans and then all the gadgets. So are any of you kitchen gadget people? You like the kitchen gadgets? A $3 billion industry in the US, just cookware, kitchen gadgets. Food is a big part of our lives. Our, our whole culture kind of centers around this idea that we spend a lot of our time, if you think about it, we spend a lot of our time preparing for a meal, eating a meal, and then cleaning up after a meal. I mean, like how much of your day goes into that? And, it, and it's just a rhythm that we live in. So if food is gonna be such a big part of our lives, don't we think that God has something to say about how we think about food? And don't you want to, as a follower of Jesus, you want to have a kingdom of God perspective on food. We wanna think about it in a way that honors God. Like we think about everything in a way that honors God because we're not, remember, we're not just, we're not just marking time. We are living in this world. We're bringing the kingdom of God to earth with the way that we live and go about our daily lives. So everything we do is kingdom of God stuff, even eating, right? So uh, here, here's some things that I want us to know about how scripture talks about food, how God teaches us about food. First of all, we, we've got feasting. Feasting is a big part of what happens in scripture. And the good news about feasting is that we are invited to celebrate what God has done and to anticipate what he is going to do. That's a big part of feasting in scripture is celebrating what God has done and anticipating what God is going to do. So it's either saying, thank you for what, what you've done, or God, we, are, we can't wait to see what you're gonna do and what's coming next. And we, we do this as a culture. We celebrate at certain times of year. We have feasts. If you think about the holidays uh, that, that you celebrate with your family, can you imagine celebrating a holiday with your family where food is not kind of at the center of it? It's just kind of understood that that's what you do. When you, Thanksgiving, what would Thanksgiving be without the feast? What would Christmas be without food and, and the Christmas cookies and all the different things we make for Christmas? I mean, these holidays are characterized by eating together. We, we look for any excuse to eat together, but feasting is, is special. Even, even like summer, you know, 4th of July, we, we, we grill out. You try to, you know, cook some, you know, your, your favorite, whatever's on the grill, right? Birthdays, weddings, anniversaries, graduations. We got a graduation coming up in our house and we're having a party at our house to celebrate our son who's graduating from high school. Do you think there'll be food there? You better believe it. What would, it, what would a celebration be without some really good food, right? This is just how we function as, as human beings and God knows this and he kind of built this into us. So if we're going to feast as followers of Jesus, people who are bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth, how do we do that? Well, first of all, feasting is about gratitude. Feasting starts with gratitude. God, thank you for what you have done. So we see this uh, all the way back in Genesis chapter one. Everything starts in Genesis one, two, and three, by the way. All of it that comes later starts here. And in the beginning, God uh, put food right at the center of this beautiful creation. So in, in chapter one, uh, verse 29, uh, here's what God says. I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth, all the birds of the sky, all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. 
And so God, from the very beginning, God set it up so that people would eat well. Isn't that great? Don't you love God for that? Aren't you so grateful that God was thinking about what we were gonna eat when he made us? And he wanted us to enjoy our food. And so he made it in abundance and he made it delicious. Have you ever wondered why food tastes good? Do you realize that, that it doesn't have to be that way? Like, we don't have to have taste buds. We could function just fine without taste buds. But God gave us taste buds and he made food, some food, taste good. And then also there's broccoli. So like, God did this on purpose so that we would find things that we, we would enjoy. And so um, when I think about gratitude and food, I think about the way I grew up uh, saying the blessing at the dinner table. You guys, anybody grow up like that? So everybody sits down for dinner and you, you say the blessing, right? When we say the blessing, what are we, what are we blessing? We normally bless the food. Here, here's a phrase that we like to use, God, bless this food for the nourishment of our bodies. You say that? Uh, how does that kind of work out logistically when you're eating something that's not good for you? You know, like, I mean, we're, God, this... This Giordano's pizza is, is really gonna take a toll on my body, but I ask that you would bless it somehow anyway, right? Don't we do that? Actually, the way that scripture talks about giving thanks for a meal, uh, we're not, the, the people in the Bible don't bless the food. They give thanks to the giver of the food. They, they say, thank you, God, for, the, for you have provided for us. God, you are the one who has given, he, you make bread come out of the earth. Uh, you give us every, every good thing for food. God, you, this all comes from you, and we're just saying thank you to you. So I just wanna encourage you, if, if giving thanks before a meal is part of your routine, um, think, think in terms of giving thanks to the creator versus just blessing the food. The food's already blessed. The fact that you have food, it's already blessed, right? God, God has been good to you. He's allowed you to eat well. We, we all pretty much do that. I can look around and see. Okay. Um, we eat well and God has blessed us with that. So let's give thanks to the creator. Pausing before the meal to do that is a way to celebrate what God has done in thinking about us and providing for us. And so we're, we, we're a blessing God who provides. So feasting is about gratitude. And when you think about the, the things that you celebrate, when you celebrate an anniversary, isn't that about gratitude for what God has done? And you try to have a nice meal for that. Uh, last night, we celebrated my wife's birthday and Mother's Day, and she ran a race yesterday. It was kind of a big, you know, Sarah weekend. And so we cook steaks on the grill. We don't cook steaks on the grill very often. You know, steaks are a little pricey. And so we, we had a special meal to celebrate what God has done in Sarah's life and in blessing us with her. And so that's, that's feasting is about gratitude. So we're gonna circle back to that towards the end. Feasting is also communal. It's communal. You don't feast alone. Or if you do, friends, that's strange, okay? If, 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 you, just, if you just feast by yourself, if you, you know, kind of go all out for a big meal and you're the only one there, that's, that's you know, we, we feast together. That's the idea of feasting is that you do this in community, uh, in fact, this was so important to God that he commanded it. He made it a law that they had to feast together. And he set certain times a year. You can look in Leviticus chapter 23 and Deuteronomy chapter 16, where God lays out these commands for the feasts that he wants his people to do every year. And so you've got, you've got Passover in there. You've got Pentecost in there. You've got the Feast of Tabernacles in there. You've got one called the Feast of Trumpets in there, which is really interesting. Look that, see how much you can find about the Feast of Trumpets. And during these feasts, what people would do is they would bring a sacrifice, okay? So they bring a sacrifice to the tabernacle or to the temple. And the sacrifice is an animal. So it's a lamb or a goat or birds. And the animal is, is killed and uh, part of it is given 
dedicated to God or to the temple or, you know, for the priest. Part of it is, is, is God's. You know, so you say the first part belongs to the one who provided. God provided, so he gets, uh, he gets first choice. This is how we want our kids to act when we buy them chicken nuggets, right? I bought the nuggets. I get first choice of the nuggets, right? So, um, so we, the people would offer these sacrifices to God, and then the rest of the animal was theirs to eat. And so, in a sense, they were literally sharing a meal with God. Isn't that cool? God invited them to share a meal with him on these feast days. And you sacrifice, you bring the animal that I provided, and then uh, give me part of it, and you take part of it, and we'll consume it, we'll enjoy it together. And so that was the idea around these, these feasts. And then when we get to the New Testament and, and the gospel that Jesus brings, that the kingdom of God is near, Jesus tells a lot of stories about feasts, a lot of parables about feasts. And Jesus does a lot of eating. In fact, Jesus does so much eating that he's accused of being a glutton. A glutton is, is, uh, is not a good thing. We'll, we'll come to that in just a moment. But um, Jesus is accused of being a glutton because he does so much eating with all different kinds of people. It's like Jesus's goal is to eat with every different kind of person that there is in the whole nation of Israel. And so he, he finds these people who are different from him and he sits down and has a meal. And then he tells these parables, like the parable of the great banquet in Luke chapter 14, that centers around a feast that the master has offered. And he's invited all these people to come in to, and, and enjoy his, his feast that he's prepared, this banquet. And, and a lot of these folks just say, eh, no thanks. I, I, got, I got other things to do. I'm kind of busy. I've got more important things going on in my life. I, I, I'm, I'm going to decline your invitation to your banquet. And so the master says, well, let's, let's go find some people. Go out, go out and, and, and get off the normal guest list. But let's just say, what if everyone was invited to the banquet? Go find poor people, go find sick people, people that no one else would ever invite to a banquet. Let's invite them and bring them in. I want my house to be full. I want my table to be full. And Jesus is pointing us to the kingdom of God. When he makes all things new and everyone is invited through Christ. And to say yes to the invitation is to say yes to a relationship because uh, eating together at, at a feast table is a very, is, in Eastern culture especially, is a very intimate thing. It's, it's, a, it's a sign of relationship. And to say, to say yes is to say, not just I wanna eat your food, but it's to say, I want to be in a relationship with you. And then to say no to that invitation is not just saying no to an invitation to a meal. It's saying no to an invitation to a relationship. And so the people that said no to the master were not just saying no to a feast. They were saying no to the master as someone they, they didn't want in their lives. And so we, we recognize that we're invited to this table and, and there's coming a day when God is gonna bring all of his people, all of his children are gonna sit down at a table and share this meal together. And this is a big part of the way the gospel talks about the kingdom of God is about feasting. And so we, we wanna acknowledge that feasting is a good thing. Uh, then we wanna also acknowledge that overeating is not a good thing, okay? So this is something that in our culture, we just kind of laugh at. We just kind of say, yeah, I'm gonna put on my stretchy pants today. I plan to eat too much, right? And that's funny. That's a joke, right? But overeating is a perversion of a good thing that God has given us. Anything that's good that God has given us can be twisted into something bad, right? Anything that's good that God has given us can be twisted into something bad. And when we make a habit out of overeating, this is actually, this is actually missing the mark of what God made food for. And we acknowledge missing the mark. The, the, the word that scripture uses for missing the mark is sin. And so 
We call gluttony a sin, but we laugh about overeating all the time. We think it's funny because we're Americans and, and we're just blessed and we can eat whatever we want whenever we want. I just wanna encourage you, when you think about feasting, to make feasting a special and rare event. Special and rare event. It's not something we do every day because if you did it every day, where's, where's the special nature of that? But it's something we do when we're gonna be really intentional about celebrating what God has done and anticipating what God is going to do in the new creation. And so excess is, is kind of uh, not a good thing in any situation, including uh, how we eat. So that brings us to the second part of the way that the Bible talks about food and eating, and that is fasting. Feasting and fasting, there's only one letter different. But these are very different concepts, aren't they? <laughs> if you think about uh, what's the opposite of feasting? Well, that would be fasting, right? That would be not eating at all. And here's the good news about fasting. Fasting is this, this great, powerful reminder that we are not ruled by physical appetites. We're not, we're not controlled by our physical. Who wants to be controlled? Do any of you just wake up every morning and say, I just wish someone else would control my life and do all, make all my decisions for me and not let me do anything that I wanna do. None of us want to be controlled. But if we're honest, many of times our physical appetites control us as, as though we, we can't help but to satisfy our physical appetites. And this is sense of control is being compelled. Like if I'm hungry, I have to eat. And that is being compelled by our physical appetites. But fasting is this way of saying, no, I don't, I'm not a slave to this appetite. I don't have to eat just because I'm hungry. In fact, I can choose to set aside some time to not eat for the sake of some other good things. Uh, you know, something really interesting is that the first sin that Adam and Eve committed involved eating something they weren't supposed to eat. Isn't that, isn't that strange if you think about it? Like, God, he's gonna make this rule about the knowledge of good and evil, but he could have just drawn a big circle on the ground and said, this is the circle of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't step into this circle. I mean, he could have done it, he could have done it that way. Or he could have made up a word and he could have been like, this is the word of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't say this word. I don't wanna, I don't wanna hear you say this word of the knowledge of good and evil. But instead, he made it food. <laughs> he, he made it a fruit, a fruit that was, according to scripture, was it looked good. I mean, it was beautiful to look at. It looked like it was gonna be really tasty. And this was part of the challenge for Adam and Eve. Can you say no to a physical appetite because you trust that God's way is best? And we go, I mean, it's just fruit, right? I mean, but let's, let's be honest. If it was a bacon tree, how long would we have lasted? I mean, that would have been tough. If God said, don't eat, the, don't eat from the bacon tree, you know, that's... I would have had a hard time with that, right? And so God made it a food because part of the test is, can you say no to a physical appetite? Can you say no to that? And so fasting becomes a core practice for Jesus followers, um, which they're looking to the kingdom of God and it's not here yet. We're not in the new creation yet. We still have an enemy that prowls around and we still have a mission to fulfill. So we take time away from eating food in order to focus on other things. So let me give you a few things that fasting helps us do. First, fasting is a way of saying no to physical appetites, specifically to whet our spiritual appetites. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a place where you, you don't feel hungry for God. You, you feel kind of far from God. You're not even sure. You, you don't even feel like reading your Bible. You don't feel like praying. You just kind of haven't done it in a while and it hasn't really bothered you. And your, your, your appetite for the things of God has sort of diminished. 
I wonder if, maybe if you just set aside some time to say no to a physical appetite, if it could stir in you a longing and a hunger for the things of God, for your relationship with God, to be nourished by God instead of just by food. Jesus demonstrated this multiple times in beautiful ways. So when he is tempted by Satan in the wilderness, Matthew chapter four, he hasn't eaten for 40 days. And the enemy comes and he's like, how can I get Jesus? How can I trip him up? Well, the guy is starving to death. Like, so let's, let's offer him some food. And Jesus' response is, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus says, I, I'm not tied to food for my survival. My survival is actually tied to my obedience to God. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus starts off with the Beatitudes. He's teaching people the way of the kingdom. And he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus is saying, I want you to be people who are so passionate about getting to know God and being in relationship with God that it's like a physical hunger. It's like when you haven't eaten for a long time and, and you just want that next meal. That's how I want you to think about your relationship with your heavenly father. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says um, in, in chapter six, he says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. Worry about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And Jesus is not saying this to people who have 20 restaurants within a, a 10 minute drive of their house that can give them whatever they want to eat anytime they want. He's saying this to people who think every day, am I gonna earn enough money to eat today? And he says to them, don't, don't worry about what you're gonna eat. There are more important things than your next meal. Man, to people who are poor and hungry, that's a tough message. For us, it's like, eh, I don't really worry about food. Food just shows up, you know? When I'm hungry, it's just there. <laughs> Man, maybe we need to take some time away from that to whet our spiritual appetites. In John chapter six, Jesus takes this conversation to another level. So in John six, Jesus feeds the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. He feeds 5,000 people and more. And it's this incredible miracle that people just go crazy about. And so they follow Jesus to the other side of the lake after this, and they're looking for more bread. They're like, anybody who can give us bread whenever we want it, we're, we're on team Jesus. So they come and they say, Jesus, can you do the bread thing again? We would like for you to do the bread thing again. And here's what Jesus says to them. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give you. He's saying there is, there is a type of food that you can eat that will nourish you forever. And then Jesus gets really clear about it. Uh, John, and verse 35, and he says, I am the bread of life. The food that can nourish you forever that's me. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus says, if you, if you would think about me, if you would have an appetite for me the way you have an appetite for food, I can fill you up and nourish you in ways that's just, you, you can't even imagine. We all know the satisfaction of a great meal, right? You know, you, you had a really good meal. I had a really good meal last night. We cooked some steaks on the grill, had a really good meal, and it, and it feels good. You, 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 know, you put all this work in, and you spend the money, and you have a great meal, and it feels great. Jesus offers the satisfaction of being nourished by him. We put in the work, we spend the time with him, we're nourished by his word and our, and our relationship with him. And there's a, there's a peace that comes with that and a joy that just emerges out of that encounter. That's what he created us for. So uh, second, uh, fasting is a way of saying, I have more important work to do than eating right now, right? This is a difficult thing. 
I, I rarely have more important work to do than eating at lunchtime. When it's lunchtime, the important work is let's get some food in my belly. Like that's, that's the job, right? But in, in John chapter four, uh, Jesus has this conversation with the woman at the well. You remember this? And they, they have this incredible conversation that leads her to conviction that Jesus is the Messiah, right? And he, he tells her that he is the Messiah. And uh, the disciples aren't there. They're, they've gone into town for what purpose? To find food, right? They haven't eaten in a while and it's, it's, it's eating time. So they go to find food. They come back and uh, offer Jesus food. And he's like, no, thanks, I'm good. And they're like, well, did somebody else feed you? Like, I know you haven't eaten in a while. What's going on? And Jesus says to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus was actually nourished in a strange physical way by doing the will of God, by sitting with this woman and hearing her story and revealing to her the truth of the kingdom. Fasting is a way of saying, I got more important things to do than eating right now. Fasting is also, it's a way of practicing the voluntary pain. Voluntary pain. Like, why would I voluntarily cause pain to myself. Well, here's why. Because you don't always get to choose when pain happens to you, do you? Man, pain comes sometimes without our permission, without our knowledge, whether we want it to or not, we experience painful moments in life. We experience at least moments of inconvenience and discomfort almost probably on a daily basis. And the way that we respond in those moments when, when pain comes into our lives or discomfort or inconvenience, the way we respond is determined by what's in our hearts. And so fasting is a way of, of choosing this voluntary pain so that we can practice what it feels like. We're gonna say, I'm, I'm gonna practice what it feels like to be hungry so the next time I have a physical appetite that wants to lead me to do something that's not honoring to God, I know what it feels like to say no. I, I, I have experience with saying no to physical appetites so I can say yes to the things of God. Uh, fasting in scripture is also an act of mourning and repentance. And so I, remember I told you God established all these feast days for the nation of Israel. Well, one of the days he established was called the Day of Atonement, but this wasn't a feast day. This was a fast day. And so the Day of Atonement was all about confessing sin, repenting from sin, and seeking God's forgiveness. And on that day, they didn't eat. They didn't eat. Because fasting was this sign of saying, like, I, this day is dedicated to me confessing my sin, repenting before God. And so for some of us that if you get caught up in sort of a, a lifestyle, a habit of sin that you need to break, man, fasting is a great way of saying, man, I, I am truly sorry for, for what I've been doing, God. I need your forgiveness. I wanna turn my life around. And, and here's the thing. When, when it comes to feasting and fasting, um, we have to not let what other people think influence our behavior in this. So uh, there's this really interesting passage in, in Matthew 11. People were trying to figure out who Jesus was. Is he, you know, John the Baptist was kind of going, are you really the Messiah? And Jesus says, uh, let me tell you some things that, about people's opinions. He said, John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. So John lived on what? Locusts and wild honey. He did not eat well. He did not have this, you know, fancy diet, Right? John lived very simply, very humbly, very poorly. And people, Jesus says, people said he had a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say he is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. He said, people are gonna judge what you do almost no matter what you do. And they're, and they're gonna judge you incorrectly. So people incorrectly judge John for not eating and people incorrectly judge Jesus for eating. And so Jesus says, let's just do what honors God 
and kind of not worry about what other people think. Because fasting will put you in some weird situations. If you, if you fast uh, on a regular basis, it'll put you in the weird situation where you're sitting down to a meal with people and you're not gonna eat. That's uncomfortable. Like that's, that's kind of weird and it creates some awkwardness. That's okay. We'll just embrace it. We, we, can, we can just very simply say, hey, I'm, I'm fasting today, I'm not eating today. And we don't have to make a big deal of it, but we also don't need to let that stop us from doing uh, what we believe is honoring to God. And finally, fasting is a way of clearing distractions so we can listen to the Spirit. I love this passage in Acts chapter 13 when the leaders of the church in Antioch are, are sitting together praying and fasting. Here's, here's what uh, we find there. Now, there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, uh, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And uh, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they finished fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. We know about the missionary journeys of Paul, right? We know that Paul, he traveled around and he planted churches all over the Greek and Roman world that hundreds, maybe thousands of people in that time came to know Christ because of Paul's missionary journeys. Well, why did Paul take off on a missionary journey? Because the leaders of the church were praying and fasting together and the Holy Spirit said, send Paul out to go and spread the gospel. It was through this time of prayer and fasting that the Holy Spirit spoke really clearly to the people. So um, I wanna encourage you to feast. I wanna encourage you to fast. You're not gonna have a hard time feasting, but there are some guides, there's some tips that I, I wanna share. They're out there in the uh, lobby. You can grab a sheet, just some tips on, on feasting in a very intentional way to celebrate what God has done, anticipate what he's doing. And I want you to invite you to fast. And, and here's what I hear sometimes from people and what I experience myself is, well, I don't think fasting will work for me because I'm just gonna be distracted all day by my hunger. Like all I'm gonna be doing is thinking about, I wish I could eat and I'm gonna be distracted from anything spiritual. The truth is when you start out, that happens. You're distracted all day by your hunger. But what I think we need to do is build this in as a practice. And so I took fasting spiritually for probably the first time in my life this year. This is most uh, seriously I've taken fasting. And I've, I fasted once a week, 24 hours for uh, 16 weeks in a row this year. I've never done that before. It was kind of an experiment to see, like, can I push past this, this time when I feel like uh, it's just a distraction? And for sure, I did. About the fourth or fifth week, I started to notice that my hunger was not distracting me so much as focusing me. And so I just want to encourage you. If you've tried fasting and you thought, that didn't work for me, I just was hungry all day, nothing good came of it, I want to encourage you to try it again and again and again. And if you can, if you can build that in as a, rather, a regular part of your spiritual rhythm, I believe that God will work through that to do all the things that we, we just talked about doing that fasting does for you. So I wanna encourage you, feast. Everybody on board with feasting? Yay. You're scared to say you're on board with feasting because you know the next question I'm gonna ask is, are you on board with fasting? To which we don't say, yay. But man, both of these are just integrated into the life of the kingdom of God and the way that we live out our faith. So I wanna encourage you to feast and fast because God has invited us to a table. There's, there's coming a day when, when we're gonna sit and feast in the kingdom of God. And I want my heart to be ready for that. I, I wanna hunger for him the way I hunger for bacon and Oreos and Chick-fil-A. I wanna have that same hunger and appetite for Jesus, for his word, for the Holy Spirit, for him to send me into places that are uncomfortable and invite me to do things that are beyond me. 
That's what I want. And I want the same for you. I want us to be a people of feasting and fasting because I think that's the kind of community that God created us for and that people want to be a part of. So would you stand? We're going to close with, with just a, a prayer. And I, I want to invite you to um, just bring before God this idea that food matters to God. How we think about food, what we do with food matters to God because every aspect of our lives matters to God. As his children, everything that we do in this world, including eating, matters to God. It can be a way that we can bring the kingdom of God to earth. So I wanna just ask you to pray with me about how you can be a part of bringing the kingdom of God to earth through the way that you think about food. So maybe you need to plan an intentional feast and invite people who are different from you to sit down at your table. Maybe you need to plan some time of fasting in your life and build that in as a spiritual rhythm. So would you uh, take that prayer to the Father with me this morning? God, thank you so much for uh, building into uh, your scripture, into the way of Jesus, a healthy view of food and eating. We thank you for the way that you provide for us, and we truly are blessed, God. We have more than we need. And we pray that you would sharpen our focus so that when we feast, we do it in a very intentional way to celebrate you. And when we fast, we do it in a very intentional way to, to draw close to you. Would you do both of these things in our lives, Father? And would you, through this, through feasting and fasting, would you create a community of believers that is a light in this world? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers. God bless you. Be salt and light. Uh, the world desperately needs Jesus.